Neon One makes software solutions specifically built for nonprofits. You can finally have your donor management, fundraising software, program management, and nonprofit operations all in one place. Learn how Neon One can help your nonprofit create long-lasting relationships by visiting neonone.com backslash we are for good. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Becky, what's happening? We're going to LA today and I am psyched. I know, like this to me, this conversation is like the power of global community here because, you know, we have had the privilege of making friends all around the globe. And one of those was Mark Longbottom. He tells stories of purpose and passion through the Purposely podcast. And sometimes he flags people and he's like, hey, friends, y'all need to meet this human. And this is one of those guys that we have on the podcast today. And he's based out of LA, but really making this global impact, this legacy through his family and through this foundation. And so we're really excited to talk to Afam Onima today on the podcast. He's the founder and CEO of Geneco Foundation. A little bit of his backstory. He was born in Chicago and then he, you know, casually graduated from Harvard University cum laude and Stanford Law School. And while he was there is when he started the Geneco Foundation. And their mission is to save and transform lives in Nigeria. They lead complex surgical missions to Nigeria. They run innovative programs to fight anemia, and they have this rural network of maternity centers where they're helping pregnant women get the resources to deliver healthy babies. But here's the thing. Our friend on the podcast today is an incredible connector of people and people that not just have wealth, but they have influence and they have networks and they have hearts and passions just like all of us here but he's found a way to really connect a lot of the movers and shakers in LA and beyond in Hollywood and beyond to really get behind this mission and so today it is like a huge honor to talk to our friend Afam and we're just delighted to have you on the podcast well John Becky thank you so much for having me it's really a pleasure to be with you well, of course. I mean, we don't want to name drop, but you hang out, you know, with the likes of Oprah Winfrey and some of the most famous Hollywood stars that are behind this foundation. But we first want to just dive into you, you know, and your fascinating story of what led you to wanting to pour into this work and kind of this winding path that took you through Harvard and now, you know, wrangling a gala in LA with all of the famous celebrities. Sure, sure. So I'm first generation American. My parents are Nigerian. And my dad, when he was a, a growing up in Nigeria, was inspired by a British missionary doctor. He went to a boarding school and Nigeria was a British colony at the time. And this doctor, who was probably the only female doctor in, in the country at the time, really saw something in him and took him along as she was fighting malaria and delivering babies and and really doing frontier medicine. And he fell in love with the idea of becoming a doctor, but also the idea of sacrificial service. Like this doctor who had a very comfortable life in the UK, who moved to, to Nigeria with her husband, who was an English teacher at his school. And so he made a promise to this doctor and to my granddad, his father, and said, I probably will continue my studies and my profession outside the country. I'll move to the U.S. or U.K. or what have you, but I will come back. I won't be one of this part of the generation that drains the continent and the country of, of its human resources and potential. I will come back and I'll help save lives. And so he met my mom, who was studying to be a nurse in Nigeria, and they got married moved out to Chicago, and their plan was stay no more than four or five years, raise some money, build some contacts, move back to Nigeria and make this promise real. But I'm the second of four kids, and they realized that we had amazing opportunities in the States and Nigeria, and unfortunately the story isn't that much different. Nigeria was falling into military coups and oil violence and religious violence and ethnic conflict. And so they realized it would not be fair to pull us from a stable life of potential in the U.S. to move back to Nigeria in the 70s and 80s. So we stayed. My doctor, my, my dad always told us about this doctor and this dream. 
And for me, when I was young, I'm like, that's great, dad, but I'm rich and or famous. I'll throw some money at you. I'll, I'll help you raise money for this. I'll help you make this happen. But that's your <laughs> dream. And Nigeria, and this is all, of course, pre-social media. So Nigeria is this place where I didn't know my cousins and aunts and uncles that well. There wasn't a great way, to, easy way to connect with them when I was growing up. We'd go back once in a while just for a couple of weeks, but I didn't really feel connected to, to Nigeria really until... I went to Harvard and I had so many classmates and schoolmates who were driven by what can I do to be financially successful or politically powerful or culturally relevant. And those are all great. And I have classmates who are doing amazing things in all those areas. But I thought for myself, what can I do to serve? What can I do to just give back and improve society? This is a time when in the late 90s, early 2000s, when the AIDS epidemic was raging in, in Africa and Nigeria. So I told my dad, like, let's, I want to talk more about your dream. I still don't want to do it, but I want to learn more about it and see how, what I can do to help. And so I did that. I ended up going to Stanford Law School, and I was really juggling working and you know, studying law and working for corporate law firms on my summers off and then building this fledgling organization. You know, We started a 501c3 when I was in law school. And then I didn't go because I was in school, but I helped fundraise and plan our first medical mission. The team did complex hip and knee replacements. And they came back and the stories they told about just changing patients' lives forever. And you realize that the people who received these new hips and knees would never have gotten them otherwise. They were going to live their lives in constant pain. And I thought, what, an, what a powerful idea to get up every morning and to have that impact on life. And for me, it was both terrifying and inspiring to think about living a life like that every single day as a profession, I think that's probably a good place to to be. If you're if you get up in the morning and you're terrified and inspired every single day, I think that's the key. And so I turned down my corporate law offers and moved down to took the bar exam, became an official lawyer, moved down to LA in 2007 and been leading Jinko ever since. What a story. I mean, as as someone who married an attorney, when you go to law school, it is all consuming. And I have to tell you, when I listen to that story and I just see your pedigree, I would, I would think, and I think that that would be um, me making a judgment that you would want to go from Harvard to Stanford Law School into the corporate sector and just be one of these achievers. And it is not easy to start a nonprofit. We have got a lot of founders in this community who have worked through the murky waters of trying to get your 5013 status and everything that comes with it. I just simply applaud you, Offam. Like the fact that you were able to juggle this because your values were telling you that there was something much deeper that you wanted to do with your life. And we came from a healthcare organization. We spent 10 years, you know, in healthcare philanthropy, seeing the one-to-one effect of how something is, is what we would think as simple as a knee replacement can be life-changing. And why wouldn't we want to be a part of something like that? So before we dive into how you created this nonprofit, I just have to know, how did Jinko explode? Because I'm looking at your list of Hollywood celebrities. I'm looking at the people who are connected to you, and I won't even say the Hollywood part. You've got physicians, you've got surgeons and nurses. You have built a culture where people really want to be a part of this foundation. Talk to us about how you did that. How did you make the case? How did you build that story and make it so magnetic that you have the likes of Charlize Theron and <laughs> Jeff Daniels and all of these greats want to come over and say, hey, tell me more about that and how I can get involved? Well, thank you. And I think it's important, certainly for, for the listeners and, and for me to remind myself of the early years and how incredibly challenging and difficult they were. They were, to be honest, the, the most challenging and in a lot of ways, the worst years of, of my life. And I know it, it sounds, you know, that the, it would be a great story to say, oh, I gave up my corporate law offers. And then all of a sudden, millions of dollars flowed in and Hollywood opened its gates and all these people started rallying. But for me, it was it was, you know, you're hitting reality. I graduated, moved down to LA. I get up in the morning, you know, one day and say, okay, start saving Nigeria. And like, now what? You know, I, I needed a plan. I needed money to fund the plan. I needed people to support the work that we wanted to do. And I just didn't, you know, they, 
law school teaches you a lot, but it does not teach you how to build an organization, raise money, get support. And so I just, I spent a lot of my time just figuring out how am I going to organize my life? How am I going to organize Jinko? How do I just evaluating was today a good day? You know, I, I came from a, a background where I was constantly graded and judged and, and you get that feedback of, okay, here's, you took a test, you did well, or you need to improve on this. When you start a foundation like this, how do you know you had a good day? You know, it's not, it can't always be based on, oh, I raised X amount of dollars. It's, or had X amount of meetings. So I just had, I spent a lot of time just trying to figure out how I'm going to do this and trying to rally support and, and people who, you know, and then finding people who are, who are with you until they're not with you. And a lot of, you know, you go for a donor and I think you have their support and you don't. And so for me, those early years, it was just trying to figure out what is our core mission? Like, what are we trying to accomplish in Nigeria and build on that, find people to rally around that. And then for me, in terms of fundraising, I started with with my friends. Uh, I remember when I made the decision to to do Jenko instead of the law firm. My my law school classmates said, "Well, you can't leave here until we have a fundraiser for you." And so we had a fundraiser at the Sheraton Palo Alto. I'll never forget it. It was my third year of law school. Like almost all of my friends and and classmates from Stanford showed up, and they got some of their contacts to help sponsor. And so it was just a full room. Like my family flew in for it. I'll never forget, I kind of during the, the festivities, one of my classmates pulled me aside and said, like, listen, we love you and care for you. And you're making this decision. And we want to support you through it. And so we're giving to Nigeria, but we're really giving through you. And so I just, I would say that was a very emotional thing for me to, to hear and to understand that people are giving, you know, and it's a fundamental, you know, tenant of our world. People give to people and that's been true from the very first day of Jenko until now. And um, you know, I, I had professors who had been very wealthy and had done really well in, in Silicon Valley who, who said, okay, well, this, again, this is crazy, but we believe in you and gotten to know you. So we will help fund this. And I had classmates who had very wealthy parents and they came on board. And so for me, and this is something that um, that I really would want people to, who are in, who are running foundations, whether they're starting or they're in more established ones. Um, I was saved by my alumni networks. I, the first thing I did was reach out to friends, but also just alums. And I didn't care if they were a billionaire or head of IBM or a, you know, entertainment mogul. I wrote to them and said, Hey, I'm this, this crazy Harvard alum doing this. I'm this crazy Stanford alum trying to make this happen. Can you give me half an hour or 20 minutes? And unfortunately, both Harvard Magazine and Stanford alumni magazine did articles and stories on my work and my decision. So I was able to share those as like, this is a real thing. And I sent out thousands of those with handwritten letters and maybe a dozen people responded. But 15 years later, those dozen are still donating, have become dear friends, and they've led to dozens, hundreds more. And if you look at uh, someone who supports us, a Charlize or a Jimmy Kimmel or a Benedict Cumberbatch, if you peel back the layers, it usually the, the, the final the piece was an alum who I reached out to or a friend or someone. And, and so it's really basing it, that connection on friendship and then vouching for me and then just beginning to build slowly from there. I mean, what a cool story because, you know, I think for those that feel like they're starting from scratch and I think that poignant moment when they said, hey, I don't necessarily care about this cause or I don't know how to care about this cause yet, but I believe in you is a starting place we can all have. Like your own personal integrity, your own personal belief and passion was enough to get people in the door. And then they've stuck with you, which tells me you made them believers. By the way that you created these programs and the way that you're showing and displaying impact, they didn't leave. And like you made that connection point. And I think it's true testament to doing the work. And you were vulnerable enough to say, those are some of the hardest days of your life. And I appreciate that because it's easy to always hear these memoirs of like this beautiful, I was in the garage starting something. And it's not always that like, take us back to like some of those things you had to push through to get to this place today where you're hosting these galas and whatnot. Sure. I think it's amazing. You know, up until I started to work for Jinko full time, I never had been rejected in a sense. You know, I applied to Harvard, got into Harvard. I applied to 
a variety of law schools and had offers to go back to Harvard Law School to go to this one and Stanford wanted me. And so you, you for whatever reason, um, and maybe they think it's a, it was a mistake now, but like they, I got into both those schools. And but then the minute you start raising, you start you start a foundation, you're just inundated with no's and rejection. And and how do you process that? How do you handle that? How do you, you this became core to my life, so core that I turned down professional path to do it. And someone looks at you and goes, nah, not really for me. Or nah, it's not, I, I, don't, I don't, Nigeria, nah, not my thing. And so just dealing that rejection and things not moving as quickly as you want, or people not giving as much or having an event. And, you know, we have these, you know, great red carpet events with Oscar winners and media, but our first couple of events were like 20 people in a in a you know hotel <laughs> ballroom. And I like literally went to get the Subway sandwiches and bring them to the hotel. And <laughs> So it was just building from there and going from there and and you really you learn persistence and you learn humility and I think that's you know being really patient but persistent and humbling yourself and really everything that I really think about and turn to is service and so not really getting tor- torn up about like they're rejecting me or I reached out to this person and didn't respond and it hurts. Like, no, I'll, I'll reach out again. I'll reach out again and I'll find another person. And I'll find another way. And so it's just being persistent. And for me, once I made the decision to do Jinko, I was not going to turn away from it. It was going to be painful. I remember times where I was like, just crawled up on my bed, talking to one of my best friends. Like, I can't believe how hard this is, but I would have that session. I would process it and I'd get back to work. And um, for me, it was, there was no other option but to keep doing it. And so you keep doing that. And then you have a couple of great breaks. You know, I, we, we connected with, I connected with a Oscar winning, Emmy winning producer early on. And he opened so many doors in Hollywood. And then I connected with um, someone who was chairman of one of the largest orthopedic companies in the world. And he opened that door to us doing more more surgeries. And I connected with an actor who was close to Oprah. And after being rejected by Oprah previously, once he was involved, she wanted to get involved. So it's just, it's finding the right people and the right champions and, and building relationships. I can't emphasize that enough. I, I, I'm just the most non-transactional person you'll ever meet. I just really believe in building relationships. And so in my case, when I decided to do Jinko full-time, because I wasn't thinking of doing it in school, I wasn't like working my classmates. I wasn't like, oh, this guy's really rich. So, I mean, let's like spend more time with him. Like I just built really good friendships just because I wanted good friendships. And so once I turned to Jinko, they were like, oh, this is, you're genuinely doing this. I want to support you and help you and build into you. And I just, I love that part of the work of building relationships and, and, and coming and being in this town, which is fiercely transactional cutting against the grain, I think actually appeals to some of these big names that we've talked about because they, they see, wow, like you're not just trying to see what you can extract from me, but you want to build with me and you want me to be a partner in this. And that's just so important. Whoever I work with, whoever we meet, whether it be someone who gives us $10 or a million dollars or someone who can go on a medical mission or help us with our scholarship, they are my partner and they're my family and I treat them as such. I mean, Afam, you are the epitome of humility to me. I think about that when you share your story. It just comes through so authentically. And I love this parallel that you created between having all of this acceptance to the top schools in the country, yet hearing all the the no's and rejection, because that is what our sector is fraught with. And that's what this work is fraught in. And the thing that just strikes me about why you've been so successful is one you are so human and authentic and you value humans so authentically. That comes through loud and clear. The second thing is you do something that we talk about on this podcast all the time, which is you show up consistently. You kept showing up. Even when it was hard, you kept sharing the story. You kept making those connections. That consistency is building what I would call for those first 12 donors. Those are your believers. They are way more powerful than a donor because they're going to show up with more than just the financial gift. They're going to show up in person. They're going to open their networks. 
They're going to extract whatever they can because they believe in you, one, and then they've seen the power of the mission unfold. And just having that level of consistency and authenticity in the way you build relationships has, it feels to me like become the ethos of what Jinko is. And I have to say, I would want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of organizations that have that baked into them. So I just want to congratulate you. And I just want to say, you you said this foundation, is it 15 years and one month old? Yes. That's a long time. And I'm really proud of you. You have persevered you so through a lot. And I just am curious for everybody out there who's listening and they want like a retrospect. What have you learned about the power of philanthropy over the last 18 years? And what have you learned about starting something that starts inside your heart and you listen to that nudge and you go for it? What have you learned? Well, I think uh, I, I think back. I played uh, football in high school, and besides my father, my high school football coach was um, the most important male influence in my life. And I remember he had two things that he just really emphasized and and um, really pounded into us. And it was take ownership and bring in energy. Whatever you do, in this case with this team um, and me as the captain, like take ownership. You have got to own it. You have to feel like you have to walk around like you own this team. You have to care about it like you're an owner of it. And then bring in energy, bring in enthusiasm to whatever you do. And so I just, that's always been with me. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to bring in energy and enthusiasm. And I think that people respond to that in ways that have been so important for our work. You know, sitting with a donor who, again, doesn't know a lot about Nigeria, may not have been open to, to giving, maybe did that meeting because they were you know, doing a favor for a friend or because I was an alum, but they, I've heard so many times, Oh, like your, your energy and your passion for it has has really made me energetic and passionate for it. And the fact that it's ownership and that I wasn't hired by Jinko. And if doctors Without borders comes along with a better pay package, I'm leaving for that. I tell them, listen, I started this. I could be in the office next to you, Mr. Corporate lawyer or head of, whatever company I could, I could be the, I could be your colleague, but instead I made this decision. I owned it and I am not going anywhere. And I can tell you how, I can't tell you how many times donors have said, I enjoy supporting Jinko and giving because I know I'm going to see you today. I want to see you next year. I want to see you five years from now. And I tell people like, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. People often ask, well, what's the next step? Like the next step is just doing this better and doing more of it. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leveraging this into anything else. And so that's always been with me. And I think people really respond to that in a, in a world where, you know, you, you blink and, and people have moved jobs five or six times, which is great. I think that's people have to find where, where they're at and they're passionate about. But I've, I happen to just be blessed to find my passion, you know, right after law school and, and to do, I want to, I want to grow it and I want to advance it and mature it, but I'm not looking to, to hop out of it. And again, I think that's a, there's a safety in that for donors who realize that, Okay, I can give to this for the celebrities we have that realize, okay, like you're you're in and I, I can build a relationship with you and not worry about, okay, well, you're gonna leave and another, you know, celebrity relations officer is gonna come in next month next week or next month. And so the fact that I tell them I'm not going anywhere and I will, you know, I will be persistent, I'll be polite but persistent. Um, there there are times, you know, people will see some of the celebrities that we have and they didn't see the 27 emails, texts, and phone calls that it took <laughs> exactly. to get that person on board. <laughs> Truly. Um, <laughs> and I would have done 28 if it took 28. And I think, and I've, I've been told by them, you know, thank you for pursuing me. I, I just, the fact that you pursued me. I remember there was one, one of our more wealthy donors. Um, he, after like several meetings, I found out he was speaking at a conference and I happened to be at that conference and I just found different ways to connect. And he said, you know what? You pursued me harder than I pursued my wife. Like I, I how can I not give to you, you know? And so and to this, and to this day, he's a, not only a donor, but a friend. Like we talk about life stuff, not only, you know, submit your 990 and here's an application. No, it's like, how are you doing in life? And that's one, again, one of the great blessings of blessings of this job is I have, true friends. And yeah, some of them might be Marvel superheroes or television hosts, but I just treat them as human beings. 
Taking a quick pause from today's episode to thank our sponsor, who also happens to be one of our favorite companies, Virtuous. You know we believe everyone matters, and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you both see and activate donors at every level, and Virtuous is the platform to help you do just that. It's so much more than a nonprofit CRM. Virtuous helps charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, volunteer management, and online giving. And we love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sounds like Virtuous might be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. Hey friends, meet our newest partner, Evolve Giving Group. Evolve is a women-owned and women-led full-service nonprofit consulting firm where nonprofits come to thrive. We love our friends at Evolve because they provide a people-first approach to fundraising consulting. And here's just a couple reasons we think you should partner with Evolve's talented fundraising team. We love that they meet you where you're at. From working with startups to 100-year-old legacy organizations, they've really done it all. And they're here to help you from start to finish. Evolve guides your nonprofit from idea to implementation so you can spend your valuable time serving your organization and community. Their consultants have literally been in your shoes. They've worked in-house themselves and understand the unique challenges nonprofit professionals face. So reach out to explore ways Evolve can partner with your nonprofit. They're here to help you reach your fundraising goals without losing any sleep. Learn more at EvolveGivingGroup.com and be sure to tell them we are for good sent you. I mean, there's just so much here to celebrate about your story, but I think like it'd be easy for people to say like your law degree is not even being used, but I love that your story is actually so much more powerful because you chose not to use it and to chase this passion. Like I just think of the doors that that's open as a result and just this like consistency, you know, like that quote of like, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. It'd be really easy to open up y'all's website and be like, holy cow, of course they can achieve all these things because they have all these people behind them. But you're a true testament to it's like this one to one relationship that you're pursuing and that you've just built over time. And so I want to demystify some of this. You've, we've mentioned some celebrities on this podcast already, and you have an incredible network, but break it down for us about what it really has looked like to partner with some of these larger than life personalities that obviously have teams and they have their own goals and kind of really busy agendas how do you tap into that passion, this chord with them and kind of walk through what those partnerships look like? Oh yeah, no, I could, God, I could speak for hours on this. Um, it's, it's interesting <laughs> because I, when I decided to do Jinko full-time, I was in the Bay Area at Stanford Law School and really could move anywhere. You know, I could start a foundation. Do I go back to Chicago? Do I go to the East Coast? Do I stay in the Bay Area? And I chose LA um, primarily because if I wanted to get the entertainment industry involved and realize that if you're working in a place like Nigeria, you need to have some of those those names and you need to kind of allay people's fears about all the email scams and stories about corruption. So I thought, well, if you can <laughs> yes. pair our work with some of those, some of those names, it can help with with that. And so I moved down and I did it the exact way people think you should do it, but was completely ineffective. I, I went to all the major talent agencies and talked to the head of their foundations and went through official channels and said, Hey, like this is what we're doing. And they're all very polite and they had their notebooks and, and they were like, okay, Nigeria and all that. And I thought like they would say that. And then they would like go in the hallway and like pull Denzel Washington out of an office. I'm like, here he is. Like, he's all yours, you know? And, <laughs> and shockingly, that's not how it works. You know, I went to all these official meetings and none, nothing happened. And then I just realized that you just have to try to build relationships and, and try to, let it come to, to, to you. And so there's there, there kind of two main um, kind of pieces of advice or things that we did that really, that really broke it open for us and allowed us to have some great success. And, and one, and, and this is like, it was just so critical to our work. Instead of going to agents or official channels, we just looked and, and to go after major stars themselves. I started just making friends with producers and directors and writers and people who aren't getting 8 million charities chasing them. But the magic behind that is a producer becomes very close with the actors that they have on their, on their projects. And they have new projects if they're good producers every year, every other year. And so if you get them involved every single year, you have a fresh new connection to all these different actors and 
And they are the best people to vouch for you because they're not being paid by the actors, at least in terms of like you're, they're like an agent's being paid and publicists who are better than agents are being paid. And so it's, it's, and they're, they're, they're paid to be gatekeepers, almost paid to say no. But if a, if a producer, and this happened, um, uh, I got to know kind of the, one of the first connections I made was a producer of ours who did a movie with uh, the actor Chiwetel Ejiofor, who was Oscar nominated for 12 Years a Slave. He's in the Doctor Strange world. And he thought, well, he's Nigerian. You're Nigerian. You guys have to meet. And so the producer and the director of that of that film introduced us and we hit it off. He was looking to get involved in our work and he's opened so many doors. He's the one that, as part of the Marvel Universe, introduced me to Benedict Cumberbatch. He's become a, a dear friend and a, an amazing, amazing, amazing supporter. And, and then I got to know another actor, David Yellowo, who's also Nigerian and was all very excited. And we, and we started the scholarship together and Oprah, Oprah is a very dear friend and colleague of David's and she got involved with endowing that scholarship. And so I started with that core of people and really built relationships with them. And then I told them, I'm not going to be shy about asking if I see you're doing a movie with, with Daniel Craig, I'm going to ask to get Daniel Craig involved. And that's what happened. And, and so they're like, they, they, they are aware, they're well aware that if they, if they signed up to a new project, I'm going to be checking it out and going, Oh, like, who do you know? How can we, how can we work with them? So um, anyone looking to, I, I guess I, people constantly ask me like, I want to get this star involved and that star involved. And I say, well, that's great. But like just build relationships with people who may not be getting 8,000 emails or, or letters a day. And the producers, the writers, directors, attorneys who represent them, financial managers, they're, they're the ones where if you get to them, talk to them, build a, a genuine relationship with them, they can go to that client to get them involved. So that's one thing. And then it's, it's amazing. Like I ask people, okay, you want to get a, a celebrity involved? Why? Oh, we have a gala. I want to honor them. You know, or I want them to tweet about us or go on social media. And it's like, that's, I mean, that's just a very transactional relationship. Like just come, we give you, we make up an award, give it to you, you take pictures or you tweet. And so I said, okay, like, first of all, build a relationship and then try to integrate what you do into their, and try to work with them and what they do. And so we've been very successful in offering set visits and go to the premiere and meet the actor because, you know, actors have crazy schedules. So the chances they're going to be available to go to your gala on that day and give you enough notice. They're very slim, but they're going to be on a set. And so why not offer a donor a chance to be on that set for a day and visit with them or a premiere They can come and have two tickets or whatever and meet the actor and see the movie before everyone else. And so we've done a lot of those contests and opportunities and they've been really successful for us. And the, and the talent loves it because Again, they feel like, well, I'm going to be on set. Like, if they want to see me do the same scene 14 times, I'm happy to have them do that. And I'm like, yes, there are a lot of people who would kill to have that happen. <laughs> yes, I would. So uh, they, they they get to kind of use their work um, to to support us. And so uh, for me, it's you know, it's kind of like the thing where the, uh, the dog who catches the the car is like, what do I do with it now? Like, I tell people, have a plan. If you want to get after an actor, <laughs> and you finally break through. Like, what do you want this actor to do? Like, don't be like, uh, um, um, just support us or like come to our gala. No, like have a plan. Like, can you do this? Can we come on set? Do you have any projects coming up? Can we offer someone a chance to do a meet and greet? Can you record a video to support? Like, just find different ways to work with that person that don't involve a one-off, go to a dinner, get an award or tweet or post. And so um, it's that. And then, and this is really difficult, but as much as possible, develop direct connections and relationships with them. And so for our core donors, for our core celebrity supporters, I know them personally. I spent time, I've done barbecues with them. I've crashed in their spare bedroom. I've, you know, and I've I've developed real relationships with them. I I ask about their family. I ask about how are they doing, you know, beyond their next project or beyond what the tabloids are saying about them. How are they doing? How are they holding up? And, And I tell them a lot about our work and they love just sitting there and hearing about the girls that we support through our scholarship or the the women that deliver safely. Cause that to them is, is real. Uh, That to them is beyond getting dressed up and pretending you're a wizard or pretending you're what have you like this. That's the the real part. And you could just, and they're again, in the end, they're, they're, they're like us. They want to, they want to have an impact in the world. They want to be treated kindly. They want to, they want to, be examples of kindness they they, they don't want to be treated as they don't want to be used because so many people in their their life just use them and exploit them and 
I tell them like, I'm going to challenge you. I'm, I'm not starstruck. If you're on board, I'm going to challenge you and they want to be challenged. And so, um, it's been wonderful for us. I, I think kind of the pullback, obviously you have different ways of raising money. You have individual giving and corporate giving and government giving. We, we've been able to, to leverage celebrity giving in ways that are, have been really great and are very additive to the other ways that, that we give support, that we seek support from others for our work. Awesome. It's official. You are my brother from another mother. I mean, everything <laughs> that you have said is about being kind and about showing up as yourself to see the human being. Everybody who is listening to the secret sauce of how to get in with a celebrity, here's here's the great disruptor, guys. Be nice. Have a plan. Have a plan of activation. We keep saying over and over, the event is not just an event. The gala is not just an event. What happens the day after? Why does somebody coming to your event, how does that event and that seed planted in that moment lead to the next thing? And I think what you're saying, and, and it's and it's so believable coming from you because this just flows out of you, this genuineness, this care. And I have to just pull it back to the way that your parents raised you. When you, you, when you talked about that inception story at the beginning and the way that your dad and your family talked about that UK doctor and about seeing one person and the sacrifice and the gift and the potential, you took that and you lit that on fire and, and, and it's felt. So it's not surprising to me at all that you would have the biggest stars in the world connected to you because I would wager you're treating the star and the very uh, wealthy law school professor and maybe the 17-year-old kid who's giving $5 a month who wants to be a part of your program, I bet you're treating them the exact same way. And I think that that is the great challenge for the modern-day philanthropist and the modern-day fundraiser is how do you connect with everyone in a way that doesn't feel self-serving. I want you to come to our gala because we're going to make up an award to give you. No, that is completely self-serving. Why would someone do that? What do you collectively bring to the table? What is unique about both of your stories, about your values that are going to lead to an investment in this mission that will change lives? That's what we need to be asking ourselves. And if we're not bringing in the human side of it, aka going to the barbecue, asking about your family, you know, the things that are honestly the most important to us, we, I would guess those celebrities probably don't care as much about those previews and, and, and the red carpet and the things they want you to know about their charity and the things that make them light up. And I just think you've baked this so well into your nonprofit. If there's anyone listening out there that's thinking about starting something, this is how you start. And on day one, you show up as yourself with your values and you treat people like you want to be treated. Bake that in, not just at the top level, but throughout the entire base, you're going to be winning in this lifetime. So bravo to you, my friend. Well, thank you so much, Becky. That was incredibly kind of you. And uh, I couldn't, you're right. It's, it's people, people want to be kind and people want to, people respond to kindness in a way that is powerful, that saves lives and changes lives. And, and you're right. I've had so many conversations with, whether it be millionaires, billionaires and celebrities and to a man and a woman, they light up when you ask them, why do you care about what you care about? How do you want this world to be a better place? And how can I help you in that? And what about our work makes you excited? What about our work brings you joy? And they just, because they, they, they never get the chance to talk about that. They never get a chance to, to really express themselves and conversations about what do you want to impart to, to your kids or what do you want your, your people to, to know about you that they don't learn about in a magazine or articles and stuff. The, the richest conversations I've had have been with 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 people who just they're talking about how we want to make this world a better place and what is kindness to them what is service to them and and then the same way with the people that we work with in nigeria um you know someone gets a new hip or knee i want to sit down and talk to them and say what are your dreams now now that your entire life and focus isn't about managing pain 
what do you want to do? And how can we help you? And with our amazing, precious girls who are in our scholarship program, who are just the world to me, uh, my, my one question to them is, how can I serve you? How can I empower you to be the best person you can be? What do you want to do? And what can we do as a, as a Jinko family to help you get there? And that just keeps me going you know, through all the, and I still get more rejections, a lot more rejections than I get um, more, more no's than yeses. And you have these dreams and things always take three times longer than you think they do or they will. And people, you know, we're all human. I failed people. I've been failed by people, but keeping that core of service, being persistent and just thinking about both the beneficiaries of our work and amazing people, whether it be a classmate of mine from high school who still gives or an Oscar-winning actor and leader of a franchise. I just I, I have the same joy in the fact that they are both in our Jinko family. You are a wonder. I mean, I love that piece that you just shared. I mean, what a what a way to storytell and posture an organization to storytell um, in such a beautiful way. So I want to give you the Florida story. Um, we celebrate philanthropy on the daily here. And to us, that is like the smallest possible gift, or sometimes it's the splashy stuff that, but all of it is like, what really has been a moment that just has gut punched you that you're like, man, this is what it's all about. This is the generosity that's all about. Take us back. I will never forget. So we, as I mentioned, we do these medical missions, um, you know, both appendix, gallbladder, minimally invasive surgery, but we started with hip and knee replacement surgeries and we've done five or six of those over the years. And I'll never forget, I got an email and it was, the title was A Desperate Cry for Help. And I, I started reading it and I was tempted just to delete it. Uh, and I thought like, how many people see my emails and see the word Nigeria and delete them? So I thought like, I'm going to read this. That's out of for for respect and for good karma, I'm going to read this email. And it was from a Nigerian who was an actor in Nigeria. And I had to stop about 10 years ago because of constant, incredible pain in both his hips. And he said, I've tried everything. I spent all my money on basically quacks and witch doctors and people giving him potions and what have you. And he's like, I, I have no more money. And I, the pain is unbearable. And if you don't respond to this, I, I'm pretty close to just taking a bunch of pills and ending my life. That was in his email. And I responded right away and I said, just don't do anything. Just can you get x-rays? Can you send us x-rays of both your hips? And he did it. And I sent them to our, you know, we have a network of amazing orthopedic surgeons throughout the country. And I sent the both x-rays. And I'll never forget the first one who responded said, like, this has to be Photoshopped. Like, this has to be something you got from the internet because... I thought that his left hip was the worst I've ever seen until I saw the image of his right hip. And this guy, one person has two of the worst hips I've ever seen in 20 years of orthopedic practice and said, but we have to do something. And so it was 2013 and we, we brought him in and he was there with his lovely mom and he got surgery on his left hip. And then we came back in 2015 and did surgery on his right hip. And he's recovered and he's back to acting. He's doing super melodramatic, over-the-top Hollywood, <laughs> Nigeria movies. I love it. And, um, which is lovely and, and terrible and wonderful. <laughs> um, and he actually wrote a book. He wrote a book, Nuggets, you know, Nuggets of Nollywood Acting and kind of advice on how to act. And uh, I have a copy of it in my bookshelf and he signed it. And there's um, a foreword. And it says the Jinko Foundation family for saving my life. And I just, I, I just, I still get chills thinking about it, you know, and, and I just, whenever I get down, whenever I go for a big grant and we don't get it, whenever we have an event and a certain celebrity can't make it, whenever a friend who I thought was coming through wasn't, whenever I have a personal, you know, uh, setback, I just think about, think about that. That, that IK is alive and thriving, and I got to play a small part in that. I got to assemble and be a part of assembling amazing doctors and nurses and other, ortho, other orthopedic professionals to help him. I got to go out to amazing donors who literally funded it, funded the, the flights, funded the, 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 the travel, and got us to Nigeria. And I think about the companies that donated, like it was a whole effort and family. And I got to just play a small part in engineering that. And because of that, a man is not only no longer in agony, but just living 
joyfully and, and getting to do what he wants to do. And I think about that, you know, 300 X of the other people who have received surgeries and, and, and it just brings me so much joy. And then, as I mentioned, our, our amazing girls and the life we're able to, to give them. So I just, I, I cling to that and I hold to that. Um, and it just keeps me going and keeps me in, keeps me just realizing like there is a very real result to all the outreach, all the emails, all the persistence, all the meetings and coffees and events and flights is because I want him to have two good hips. I want that girl to learn Spanish and physics and read Shakespeare and live a full life. And so I keep going just based on, on, on those ideals. I mean, often this, this is going to sound like a benign phrase and I mean it with as much weight as I can throw down. Your soul is so good. Like your soul is so good. And I just am so grateful that you would share that story um, because uh, we are ridiculous idealists in this work, are we not? And we can go through the rigmarole and be juggling all the things and to have that forward come out and, and to watch, you said he's living joyfully. Is this not all what we all want to do? It's just living this life joyfully and with peace. I just think what a beacon that is. I, I'm so grateful that you would come into our community and share this story. I'm so grateful that this organization exists. And I just even think about these girls that you're talking about, which by the way, your whole face and your whole carriage changes when you talk about these scholars and these girls and what they mean to you. So I can tell what they mean to you. And I hate to ask this because it means we're wrapping up, but I mean, we end all of our conversations with a one good thing. And through all your travels and all these experiences you're, you have, what would you distill down to a one good thing for our community? It's very easy for me. It's my life tenant. It's something I think about every single day, every moment, and that's be kind and serve. Every day. That's what I lead with, whether it's I'm driving, I get cut off, whether I'm sitting with a Marvel superhero or a billionaire or one of our scholarship girls, how can I serve in that situation? How can I serve you in this conversation? How can I serve your listeners? Um, just when you think about service, when you think about kindness, I don't always attain. I, I can think about what I'm supposed to do to be kind and I, can, I, I fail probably more times than I succeed, but having that in the forefront of my mind and at the top of my heart how can I be kind? How can I serve in this situation to this person, to this group that I'm interacting with? I think that's just a, a good way, a good compass for life. Um, you know, you, you'll, you'll try and you'll fail and you'll try again. And that's the joy of life, in my opinion. I mean, the kindness and service we feel through this conversation, we talk a ton about values on the podcast because they're core to not just even how we show up in the world, but also how it attracts people and like, it's clear to me why you're in year 15 and you are working with the type of people that you are working with. You're a magnet to this type of um, impact that you're creating. And so we're just here for it. Like, will you connect us all to how can people follow GeneCo and you? Where do you show up online and how can people get engaged with your mission? Sure. Thank you. Yes. So we're at www.ginko.org and that's G-E-A-N-C-O.org. So we have a ton of information and videos and all sorts of um, information about our work. And I run all the socials. Um, we're at FDN on Instagram and Twitter. And again, that's at G-E-A-N-C-O-F-D-N on Instagram and Twitter, I'm very active on those, very active on LinkedIn, so people can look me up. Um, A-F-A-M is the first name, and then O-N-Y-E-M-A. And just please reach out, love to connect with people who are interested in learning more about our work, supporting our work. Um, we just always, you know, we, we really do consider Jinko a family, um, you know, because I started with my family. Jinko is a mix-up of the initials in my family. And so it truly is founded by by family, for family, and with family. And so we're always excited and 
And I'm just always so humbled when someone's interested in joining our family and providing support to the work that we do. And just like family, you will be so loved and taken care of in this organization. However you want to show up, just put a strong plea out there. If this conversation resonated with you, find a way to connect, um, even if it's just following on social media and watching the story unfold, and then lean into that lane when you're ready, when you see something that strikes you. And I just like want to extend a friendship bracelet to you often and ask you to be my best friend forever because I need more Done. of your kindness, <laughs> your service, and just this wonderful outlook that you have on life. It's just, it's a balm to the soul and it's just a buoying. So you keep going. We're rooting for you in all things, my friend. Well, thank you, John and Becky. This has been such a blessing and an opportunity just to, that you humbled me by asking me to come and share our story and my story. And thank you for allowing me to do that. And to anyone hearing my voice and listening, thank you for the time that you took to to listen and to learn more about the work that we're doing and the, the joy behind it and the service behind it. And again, thank you so much for allowing me to just be with you. This has been just a, um, a sacred time for me just to spend it with you, you both. And thank you so much for your kind words about um, what we're doing and what I'm doing. And uh, it certainly has that has me fired up to just get out there and do even more. Go for get it. Us fired up too. Yes. Feels <laughs> so grateful for this time. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Hey friends. Thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics. Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free, and you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing. If you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us, and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.